I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalms 37. We were there last week. Psalms 37 and verse 23. We sing this song a lot in our little choruses. And it's a good song and has a good message. And it says this. It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way, or God delighteth in his way. And if you notice, I said last week, if you got a King James Bible, the word good was added by a translator so that in the original Hebrew, it just said the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord and the Lord delights in his way. Well, we know that God does not delight in the way of sinners, that he does not delight in the way of wickedness or evil. So they added the word good because that verse ends with God delights in his way. So it had to be something different from evil and something different from the worldly ways. So they added the word good, and I'm comfortable with that because I think that's what he's referring to. But, you know, then you got the verse in Matthew 19, three of the Gospels, where Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? There is no man good. We realize this about all of us, and we mentioned this last week. None of us are good. There is none good. There's not even one person good in this world. So that none of us, by doing something, can make ourselves good. We cannot even improve upon ourselves so that God says, well, that's better. The only way goodness comes to anybody is when it comes from God. James 1, remember we spoke about that, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father above and so forth. So anytime anything good happens to a man or happens in a life, good in the sense that God has sent it, God delights in what that does to a person. It is the goodness of God, for example, that leads us to repentance. A lot of Christians don't realize this, but you cannot just one day when you're ready to get saved, just repent. People do it all the time. It doesn't last, but true repentance is a gift. It's something that only God can give, that God grants repentance, and he does it in a specific way. He gets your attention. He draws your attention to your wickedness and your wrong ways, and then he causes that to disturb you and bother you. That's what godly sorrow is. You become ashamed because of what you've done. You want release from what you've done. And then you turn to God and you ask for mercy and forgiveness. That one man in the Bible said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Couldn't even look up to heaven. Couldn't even raise his head because he was aware, finally aware at this time in his life, finally saw it because God showed it that he was a wicked man. But what God did turned around the wickedness, removed the evil, and deposited the good. Now, this man is a candidate for having his steps ordered by the Lord in a way that God truly delights in the way a man lives and the direction a man is going. That's an important thought because everybody in this room, I said last week, everybody in here is going somewhere. We all live by choices. We make them all the time and every day. And we are this morning what we've chosen to be, all of us. There's a lot of things in our life that God does not and did not delight in, but he's merciful and he gives us repentance and we can turn away from that 
and respond to God and turn back to him and begin walking in this right way, and he delights in us. His delight in us is what causes grace or favor to come into our life, makes a difference with us. People wonder why things work for you and they don't work for other people. Why are you always well and other people are always sick? Well, it's the difference that God makes. God has a way for us to be well. We'll get to that in a minute. And if a man will respond to God like that, God will delight to give him not only this grace, but to cause him to do it in such a way that a man's testimony is seen. We are to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us the reason of the hope that is within us and so forth, because God makes a difference with a man's life when a man's life is turned around. And in that way, the steps of a man who wasn't good is made to be good in the eyes of God because he is, now belongs to God. And as he follows God, God delights in his way. I, like you, want to walk in the right way through my life. Our life is brief. It's like a vapor of smoke. It's here and it's gone. We never know when it ends. It just ends. And I want to make sure that in this life, I can walk the right way because people want to. How do I do this? How do I know? I mentioned several things last week. There's two parts to this title. This title is The Steps of a Good Man. And the first section last week was what God expects from us. And today is what we expect from God. We could say that God expects from us just simply to trust him, to have faith in him. My last point, we ended with that. God requires faith from us. Just because he has said something in the Bible doesn't mean it just happens. The Bible has 8,000 promises that very few Christians ever experience any of them. And they wonder why. I read my Bible, I go to church, I work, I work, I do, I do. And yet they're no different, no better, no more peaceful. Same old, same old. So just because you can read the Bible and locate the promises and hear them preached or sing about them, it doesn't mean they just work because of that. You've got to believe them. And not everybody believes. Everybody acknowledges, mentally agrees, yes, I read that in the Bible, I know that's true. Well, you know it's true academically, but you won't trust yourself to it. You won't depend on that word in your life because you're afraid it might not work. Therefore, God is not entirely reliable, and I'm not sure I'm ready for that. So instead of walking that way, we walk in another way and hope God understands. Well, God doesn't delight in that way. Are you with me? That's not what he delights in. In order for a man to have faith in God, I said, first of all, last week, he has to realize that he doesn't know how to walk. Remember Jeremiah 10? It is not within a man to know how to direct his steps. We can't do anything we're supposed to do the right way unless we first realize, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live this way. I try this, I try that, I don't know. Because once you don't know, then you begin to seek to find out and realize, secondly, that only God can show you the right way. The only source for light, for a path, so that steps can be guided is God. There's no other way. Your best intentions, your most noble and lofty ideas of how a man ought to live are no good unless they're in agreement with God. And that doesn't mean anything at all unless you trust it. It's just ink on paper. Unless we trust the Lord, 
we get real frustrated. I go to church, I go to that church, I heard what they preach, they preach, they preach, they preach, they preach, and I just don't see it happen. I'm gonna go somewhere else, so they go somewhere else, and nothing ever happens. Nothing's ever preached because they don't want people to get frustrated with why the promises don't work. Think, what's going on here? God expects you to recognize he's your source. God expects you to respond to that source and to surrender yourself to that source. As I said also last week, God expects you to fight to maintain that source. That's what an overcomer is. It's not going to be an easy walk. The way God said, walk this way, and I'll be with you and direct and guide and so forth, it doesn't mean you're not going to have opposition. You will, and most people quit. Not some, most. Most people are afraid, this is it, won't work, I've missed it, and they back off, rearrange their steps, look for something else, and they walk this other way and expect God to take them to heaven because they go another way. Remember the Bible said there is a way that seems right unto man? Are y'all here? And the end of that way is death. Yet we never want to think that's true because, well, we got so many substitutes for the Bible. We read all these things that God said, but wow, what if it doesn't work? And so we do something else. And life can be real dismal. The Christian life can. Very few answers to prayer. Hope is really not where it ought to be. It's not really at peace. And you wonder why. I go to church, I give, I participate, I've been places, gone on missionary trips. But I still seem, it just doesn't seem to work for me. You can talk to thousands of church members who talk like that. Well, I don't know. I, I go to church. I've been going to church since I was a kid. They preach good. I mean, nothing wrong with what they preach, I don't guess, but I, I don't see much evidence of it. I grew up like that. Maybe you did too. After a while, you get to the place where church is just something where you go and try to get yourself better. You just try to improve upon yourself. And hopefully, if you do it sincerely enough, God understands you're just a, you know, you're just a injusta, and he'll take you to heaven anyway. We count on that. It just doesn't work that way. But I ended by saying this, that God requires faith from us. We have to come and hear what he has to say true. You have to ponder what he says because faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing the word, not a nice little sermon about a little story somewhere, but it comes by hearing the word. The only thing that God ever said he'll watch over to perform, the only thing he said you can hold him to is his word. And he doesn't change this word. He said, I'll change not. Heaven and earth may pass away. This word will never change. The only thing he said he watches over to perform, that's his word to us. The only thing I watch over to perform is my word. I'm not going to alter the thing that has gone out of my mouth, the psalmist said. I'm not going to change the way I said it. Ages and times and seasons, they change, but the word of God will abide forever. The year 2000 hasn't changed what the Bible means. It means what it meant when they first wrote it. We have to humble ourselves to God and say, God, the only thing you've given me that I know you watch over is your word. Whew, I can't understand a lot of this. and I know what a lot of people are going to think about me for doing this, but I'm going to trust you to do this. 
And I'm not the only one in this room that could stand here this morning and tell you that when you live the way the word says, you're going to be shot at and spoken against, and people will badmouth you. And there will be little rumors circulated about how crazy you are. But one day when God vindicates you, they will wish they had listened. Because God will vindicate his own. Now, part two. What do we then expect from God? He gives us all these things that he requires of us. He wants us to stand totally in dependence upon him. Okay, we do. Let's say we do. Let's assume this morning that we're there that our faith is operating in the whatever level it's at, it's there. Now, what can we then expect from God? What can we expect from God? Well, our psalm says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and the Lord delights in his way. Well, this way that I'm going, Lord, what can I depend on to happen? What will you do as I walk this way? Will you open my eyes and show me from your word what I can count on you to do? Isn't that what faith is? Biblical faith, been talking about for 40 some years. Biblical faith is simply counting on God to do what he said. You realize that? You're just counting on God to do what he said. How about the pop machine one more time? When you put your two quarters in the machine, if it's a 50-cent drink, don't you count on that to work? You cannot, with your mind, sit there and make it work. You read the instructions. Faith comes how? By hearing you read it, you understood it, and so you put your money in there, and your expectancy is that you're going to get a Coke or a drink, and you get it. You're just counting on it to work. Has God ever said anything that he can't do? We count on him. We count on God to do what he said. That's all he asked. This whole bunch of us, all of them out there in that world and all of you in this world. He just asked us to take him at his word and count on him to do what he said. If he said, I'm the Lord that heals thee, then count on that. If he said, I'll supply your needs, then count on that. That's what you do. And how many do it? How many do it? There's a verse in here in Proverbs that says that when you find it, then there shall be a reward and thy expectation shall not be cut off. There is an expectation that comes from God. God gives us his word. We read it. It's a wonderful word. You got it open right now. And you're sitting there now. And you read it. And this word is a declaration of what you can expect from God. It's full of history. It's full of promises. We read what happened a long time ago, and we get warnings from that because we're supposed to learn from stuff like that. We read what good men did and how God rewarded them for that, and he doesn't change. What I find in the word is what I expect to happen. When you find what God says, God wants you not only to count on it, but it's only faith when you expect it to happen. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. And if he said it's going to be so, if God said, I'm the Lord that heals you, or I'm the Lord supplies your needs or guide and directs your steps, then he will. 
We don't always know where we're going to be in life. I went to college to be a school teacher, did that for a while. I enjoyed the coaching part that cared less for the teaching part, but I figured this is what I was going to do in my life, and here I am this morning doing something I would never have done. Moorhead didn't have classes on preaching. When I went to college, nobody I knew in any class was going to be a preacher. Never remember the Bible ever being taught or a verse of scripture ever being expounded by any professor. But here I am. Now, how can this be? How can you go to school to be this, and then one day you turn around and you're doing this in front of all of this? How can this be? This is not the way it works. But it's the way it happened for me. And now I'm at the age where I can't go back and start over anyway. So here I am. I'm not stuck. If I am stuck, I'm not going to get out. I'm not even going to try to spin my wheels. I like where I am. I'm just saying that God has a place for everybody in here. There is a way that God is going to cause his people to walk and get where he wants them. And when he gets them there, it's going to be really what they wanted anyway. See, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't have a clear direction from the Lord. I had to feed my family, I had to do something, so I made a decision to do something. When I made a decision to do something, God began to shut doors, open doors, preach your call, come and preach a revival. A what? A revival. Now I'm overdoing this. A revival? Man, <laughs> little boy, you want to eat? I'll preach a revival. And a man came to that meeting, Baptist preacher, Olive Branch Baptist Church. I want you to come over to my place and preach me a revival too. All right. And I got over to his place. Hey, we hear you got a preacher up there. Want you to come down here? Yeah. Okay. I went there. Here I am. Here I am. Gray hair and bags under my eyes, but here I am. Long, tedious nights and difficult times. The first time I preached revival, much trepidation, much, much trepidation. You don't know what it would be like if you stuttered as bad as I did. As insecure about what I, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm in a Baptist church in Lancaster, Indiana. Lancaster Baptist Church, Sunday morning, being loftily introduced. You would have thought I'd converted Billy Graham the way I was brought out there. And I'm walking out there thinking, what is my name? Where do I live? <laughs> and yet, I remember when I'd started talking, it was kind of like my Sunday school class back in Charleston, which I just adored. I loved that little Sunday school class on Sunday morning. And I started talking to these people, and it just seemed to come out. And then I realized when it was over, I, thought, I did that. By myself at night in my room thinking, it worked. <laughs> I know I can't do it, but it worked. And I still don't think I can do it. And that's the God's truth. But it works. I don't know why it works, but it works. I think he can do this with something like that. I didn't know I was going to be here, but he puts me here. Now somebody else says, I want to be a preacher like Hamilton. I remember the days back, oh, the last couple decades where there were little Bible meetings and preachers everywhere. 
They all wanted to be preachers, and I don't think very many of them really were. I'm not sure, but a handful of them were. Because they're all gone. They all quit. Everything left. The people died away, quit coming. It just, they just quit. They were all better than I am. They were all better. I mean, I would give them that because they, they've said that. You're right. You are right. Give him a dollar. But it's just the way that God directs steps. You understand what I'm saying? He directs steps. Now, again, back to this word. We found out in this word what he says. And the Holy Spirit's work is a prompting work. It's a stimulating, spiritually stimulating work. And you're quickened. Something on the inside of you begins to see something like you've never seen it before. And it has an effect upon your thinking, and you start thinking, you know, I believe God will do that. I don't know of anybody I can point to to prove that he'll do that. I've never seen the eye open, the this restored. I have never seen it, but I, it personally, I believe he will. I'm not going to base my faith that he'll do it because he did it for this one or did it for that one or for those. In my hookup with God, I just believe it will. I've been here too. When nobody else in my area was, and I began to say, I can do that. I believe for a car when people thought, what is he into now? A car. <laughs> Next thing you know, he'll be believing for his house. Yeah. In an airplane one time. Oh, now wait a minute. I was only responding with expectation to what my heart was embracing that I believe God inspired me to believe. Airplanes and houses and cars mean nothing to God. All that stuff is going to turn to, you've been by a junkyard. How many of you have been by a junkyard once in your life? Four of you. All right. Did you know that one time people polished and shined on those things and drove them around the block and set up straight? Brand new, pretty thing, shiny chrome. Look at it now. Sitting on top of an old truck with the windows all broken out of it. That's the way things in the world are. But God uses things to inspire you to trust him and count on him for those things. The thing is nothing. It's the growth of your life and your faith and your trust in God. It's the deepening of the bond and the connection between you and God that's the big deal, not the car and the house or the money or anything else. But it's the fact that you're learning to trust God and you can count on God to do that. You can't just make up something and count on him to do that. It's got to be inspired. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It's the Holy Spirit that prompts us and quickens us to do all of these things. Now, what can we expect of God first this morning? I expect God to keep me. Because I am full of mistakes and foolishness. I am full of wrong turns. I am full of backing into people. And doing stuff wrong. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm counting on you, Father. As a man that lived in sin that made so many dumb mistakes, so impulsive, so given to feelings and ambitions of my past, 
I can't trust me. I know kids say, well, you don't trust me. Hey, I don't even trust myself, let alone you. Why is he getting so quiet? We're not talking about the family tonight, this morning. <laughs> kids always say, you don't trust me. Well, I, thank God I don't because I don't trust myself. But I have to count on God to take something as warped and as able to fall as I am. And as I read his word, I am going to count on him for security and preservation, that God will keep me. Remember what he said in Timothy that one time? He said, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him unto that day. What have you committed unto him? Your life. Remember that old song, take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee. I can't do that. I can only respond to God. No man can consecrate himself. God leads you to a place so that when you do it, you do it with your heart and not with your mind. Dedication, consecrate. Well, only God can do that. Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able. Well, that's faith. I am persuaded. I am convinced. I am determined after much thought in my mind to this conclusion, that God who made the promise is able to perform the promise. And if the promise is that he will keep me, then I am trusting him that he will. Listen to what he said in the same book, 2 Timothy 4, verse 18. And the Lord shall protect me from every evil work, and shall preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Is that possible? Amen. That God shall preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and amen. Are you telling me then, like Isaiah said, that God said to those to whom this is written, that I have graven thee on the palms of my hands? A nursing mother could forget her child before I could ever forget you. I would graven thee on the palm of my hand. You are there all the time. And if you're there all the time, remember what he said in John chapter 10? Turn to John 10 so you'll know what he said in John chapter 10. In verse 27, he said concerning his hands and your security, this is a good Baptist verse. If you were a Baptist, you're going to love this. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. Boy, it's another sermon. Let me add to what I just said this part. Not everybody are his sheep. Not all people are his sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They don't just visit the church building and go home as though nothing ever happened. They hear, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And I have given unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, let me tell you what's happened with this verse of Scripture through the centuries. People have read this and assumed that they are God's sheep because they go to a church. 
or they got baptized, or they went forward in a meeting and held up their hand and said, I'm sorry. They did all the outward things that, that we do, and we do all of that. We don't make it go forward. We may get saved in our living room or something, but people assume that in a Christian setting, because a preacher preaches that, that everybody sitting in here is now imperishable. You cannot be lost. No man can ever pluck you out of their hand. And they're living with each other. They're lying. They cheat. They drink. They steal. They watch porn. They're full of corruption. But they're going to heaven. I don't think those are what he meant by his sheep. Are you with me? He specifically said his sheep follow him. I think most people are saved by a stranger. They don't even know who he is. If they knew who he was, they'd be appalled at what he requires. But he says, my sheep hear my voice. They follow me. They'll never perish, and no man is going to pluck them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. That's preservation, isn't it? Or you're going to walk through life, you're going to make decisions, you're going to wrestle with things, and you're going to wonder about things, and you're going to cry out to God. But all of this is a part of the guiding of your steps. God is in control of your life. No man's going to pluck you out of his hand. When the end comes, you'll be there. And yet too many have come and gone. But some people have come and stayed, even though many times you wanted to leave. Why did you stay? I don't know, something on the inside prompts me. It's not politics anymore, but something on the inside just says there's nothing, nowhere else. I just, I've got to deal with this. I've got to trust God in this area. I've just got to make it. That's what makes us bear down and hold fast. We turn to God because we don't want to turn back. He's got us in his hand for sure. We don't know that except we read that, and we have to live like he's got us in his hands, and we realize after 30 years of trying to do something else, we haven't been able to, but God has kept us in the right way. His elect, those who from the foundation of the world were appointed unto salvation, are never going to escape him. He's got a hold of us. He's there like that. And he's going to let you be shaken by the devil. He did Peter. Oh, you're going to wrestle and go through this and go through that your whole life. All who live godly shall suffer persecution. You're going through that too. But when you get to the end, when God unfolds his hands, you're going to walk into his kingdom. Because you made it. And you only made it because of God. Not because of yourself. Think of Jude 24. He said, now unto him who is able. Boy, you got to love this. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. What about that? Who is able to keep you from falling? God. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before the throne of his grace faultless. How about that? All this we're going through in the difficulties. Did you know that's a refiner's fire? And he's tempering us and dealing with us and getting our attention. And we cry out, oh, God. And we're making adjustments and we're being cleansed and, and just more and more. And the painful, yes, 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 because we got into it so easy and we're not going to get out of it easy. 
We opened the door in our early lives and let the devil, come on in, man. We're going to have a good time. He said, I'm going to help you have a good time. And one day God opened your eyes to show you that that's not a good time you're having. That's death. That's death working in you. All that sex and drugs and, and good time, and that's death. And you got into it without trying, and you're going to get out of it with effort. God's going to require that. But you're going to put your hand to the plow and not look back. And when you think you're going to look back, there'll be something from heaven shoves you around very firmly. It hurts. Sometimes a big hand grabs you on your head and you can't look back, you know, and then your eyeballs get stuck and you can't look either way. You will thank God for that on the other side because God kept you from being judged by him. Because if he had not done what he did, he would have had to judge you. Are you ready for that? Praise God. That's how much in control he is, especially with his sheep. His sheep will hear his voice. Back in Psalms 37, in verse 28, it said, For the Lord loves judgment and forsaketh not his saints. Maybe I'm a little Baptist in heart. I doubt it, but something on the inside of me does grasp. I do believe in eternal security. I do believe in eternal security. I believe in eternal security because the Bible teaches me that. I just taught you that. I mean, that's what he said he would do. And I'm counting on God. I'm expecting God to do that because, again, my evaluation of myself after all these years, finally, I'm not what I thought I was. I'm not who I thought I was. And I'm not anything close to what I was hoping to think I would be. Oh, I had visions of being out there with the world wondering. Then I realized we don't want that because that's what the Antichrist will do. One day you just surrender yourself and humble yourself and say, I don't care where you put me, just as long as I'm walking in the way you give me. That's what I want to do. That's the right way for me to go. Listen to this one. You've heard this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, towards the end of that chapter. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Who is able to make you blameless? Who is able to make you faultless? Who is able to make you without spot, blemish, or any such thing? God and God alone. Now listen to me, all of you. When you quit paying attention, when you quit struggling and striving, when you start taking things into your own hands, that's when the work stops. When men quit trying to be men in their homes, the work stops. When women ignore and disregard what a man says or husband says, the work stops in her life too. You exist and you live and you go to church and you raise children, but the work of God is stopped. God works in his people. His people cry out to him. They're constantly being dealt with. We're constantly being messed with. Jesus as a great refiner of silver the one who refines the priestly tribe. We're a kingdom of priests, you know that. And the one who is refining that particular little group of the big picture, those elect people, is Jesus Christ. 
And he didn't save you to leave you alone and let you be because he'll have to judge if he does that. But in order to keep you from being judged along with the rest of the world, he singles you out for cleansing. And you wonder why only you. Nobody else is going through this. You might be the only sheep in the whole bunch. What if that was true? You're the only one saved in the whole crowd. Saved, that's a little narrow, isn't it? Let me take a sidebar here for 10 sentences. You remember a sermon not too long ago, that which is born of God sinneth not? And then it said, he that is born of God overcometh the world. Every born again believer will overcome the world, period. If you don't overcome, then what do you say? You've never been born again. You had the appearance, you were close, you acted like, but that's what tares and wheat do. They grow side by side. You can't tell them apart until the harvest. Until the harvest, that's coming. We're about there now. And sometimes you get to the harvest and you realize you're not what you're supposed to be. Well, I'm not the only one. So there's no change even then. I expect God through my life to so keep me and preserve me that when I reach the end of my life, whenever it is, I will have become what he wanted. And he will say to me, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. Who are his sheep? And how can you discern his sheep? Now, many of you may not like this, but let me say it anyway, because if I don't speak the truth lovingly to you, then why am I here? Who are his sheep? Is it those who attend meetings? No. Who are his sheep? Those that have climbed the hills? No. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. These are his sheep. God's people are believers. They trust him. They count on him. They rely on him. They depend on him. They believe him. 1 Peter chapter 1. What distinguishes God's sheep from those who are not his sheep? Very simple verse in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 5. Speaking about us and our inheritance and going to heaven, he says, verse 5, in the meantime, who are kept. You see the word kept? What does that mean? Study like this. Study like this. Read a word and think, now what does that mean? Kept. When you keep something, you secure it, don't you? Don't you hold on to it, hold it fast? If you keep it, and if it's really important and it's a valuable thing to you, if it's a treasure to you, you keep it in a place where nobody can get it. Like in a secret place or something, you keep it. The Bible says, who are kept by what? By the power of God, his ability, his might, his ableness. Who are kept by the power of God. Let me see. Does it say through, uh, through church membership and baptismal certificates? Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Does your Bible say through faith? What is faith? It's your willingness to count on God to do what he said. You can't change it. You're not trying to alter it. You're just counting on God to do what he said. There's not many people that do this. After all these years, not a lot. 
fact, the place I heard it first is gone. It's gone. And the residue, though, there's a lot of residue of it, but not like it used to be. What happened? A lot of things happened. But our message is not what happened there. Our message is about faith and trusting in the Lord here to do all these things. It says we're kept by the power of God in one way. God requires faith of us. We are kept by the power of God through faith. But what if we're not using our faith in the biblical sense that we're not kept? We go through this, we go through that, we're up and down, we're this way and that way, we're never sure, never secure. Because there's something wrong in your connection with the Lord. There's something really wrong. When God sends his peace into your heart, you don't do that. When his security settles into your heart and you know in whom you have believed, you become persuaded that he is able. And that's the end of striving. You rest your case with God because you know that he's able. But go on. He says, you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. Wherein you greatly rejoice, even though now for a season, if need be, and it does need to be done. You're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why? Verse 7. We've been talking about a why. That the trial of your faith, which is more precious than gold, even though it's tried like gold in the furnace, we said the furnace of affliction, that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory when? At the appearing of Jesus. The faith that God gives us today is not a faith we can set aside and assume. It's an active living force that brings into your life that which God has promised. No other way. You can quote the Bible, memorize scripture, and never experience it. But when you have faith, you're counting on God to do it. And you don't count on him just a couple of weeks a year. It's daily. We walk by what? Faith and not by sight. The just shall Live by his faith. Don't turn back. It's a daily walk because that's what God holds us to. And when he does, we can expect him on the basis of our faith, we can expect God to do all these things that he said because God's people are believers. I mean, like you said in verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You're going to have to believe until it's over. Receiving the end of your faith it won't be faith in heaven. Faith and hope are for this life. Love will be what heaven is all about. But you receive the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. What if you let go of it before the end? What if you do? See, the consequences are not good. But it doesn't have to be like that. It can be like God says it. A second thing that I expect God to do. I expect God to supply all my needs. I do. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to hustle, whatever I have to do. Never had a problem with that in my life as best I can remember. As far as working for a job. Now, grass is another thing. But anyway, what's the basis of my expectation? The Word. The basis of my expectation is God's Word. 
Let me give you four areas that I'm believing God that he'll supply all of my needs. Now, these are all common things. We've heard these for years and years, but let me just rehearse them to you. And then I want to ask you with each one of them, are you expecting, are you depending on, and are you counting on God to do these things for you? Take the first one, your material needs. Your material needs, we all have them. Jesus said it like this. Let me read it for you in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Jesus said in verse 31, he said, Wherefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we be clothed? These are the needs that we all have in life. These are the basic fundamental needs. Food and shelter and, and things of that sort. Verse 32, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, let me ask you a question. What do the Gentiles seek? Just to have a little bread and a bowl of soup for dinner? Or they go to that two cars and two chickens in a pot and all that stuff? Was it Jesus who said, I'm coming that you might have life and have it? Did he say that? So we can say that too, can't we? Can I expect him to do that? Or am I being presumptuous? Or should I expect him for the abundant life? Should I? If he said, I am come, Hamilton, that you might have the abundant life. I'm come that you can have that. You couldn't have it before because you'd been in chains and bound by the devil and robbed and cheated your whole life by ignorance, foolishness, and deceiving spirits. I'm come to undo all of that stuff that you now can have abundant life. Should I go, oh, thank you, and then ignore it? Should I let it pass by for fear that people will think I'm greedy? Oh, I wrestle with that when I believe God for cars and houses and planes. A plane. One. Now, I was concerned about what everybody thought. I was. I used to dread ever being a hypocrite. That was one of the worst labels ever attached to a man as a hypocrite. Yet it's so easy to back up from things you've said and do something else. I didn't want that because I had run around with them. I had seen them. I'd visited a hundred churches where the preachers preached and didn't mean anything they said because I ran around with them after church. It's just a function. It's a way to do it, but they didn't mean it. How can you live with yourself talking like that and not meaning it? But it happens all the time. But if God promised me the abundant life, shouldn't I say, God, I not only can read that, and I'm not only stirred by the spirit of the truth of that, but I want what you came to give me. If you came to give me that, I want it. Now, he said in Matthew 6, verse 32, after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his right ways and his righteousness and all these things. You young folks, listen to me. All these things shall be added to you. Not because you're seeking them, but because they are seeking you. Let me see. Time out. Old Testament. Let me see. If thou shalt diligently hearken unto the word of the Lord, keep his commandments, not forsake his ways, do what he said, those things. 
then all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Remember where that is? Deuteronomy 28. That's right, Deuteronomy 28, you're right. So he said, all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Did he mean that? Was that just for that generation or is that a promise? Well, if you can keep the word and obey the word and walk in his ways and you can expect, see, there's that word. You can expect the same thing that he promised to happen for you. It hasn't happened to a lot of people because they haven't done what he said. You do what he said. These blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. He didn't even say you had to seek those. He said, they look for you. They shall overtake thee. And he lists 16 verses of more than you could ever want in this life. And you didn't write a verse of it. God wrote it all. He said, this is how I want you to think. This is what I want you to expect from me. I want to be your total source for your whole life. The world says, oh, we'll do this. I want you to look to me and ignore the world and say, my God shall supply all my needs. My God. I don't want a bank. I don't want a loan. I don't want anything else besides what God has promised. Material things. My God shall supply. Did he say that? All your needs according to his riches and glory? Turn to 2 Corinthians 9. Delight yourself in this fruit of the word here. Enjoy this for a moment. You might want to put your tennis shoes on in case you want to run around the room. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 it tells us again something God is able to do for the third time this morning. And God is able. If he's able, then I expect him to do it. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Then why? Somebody tell me why that multitudes of charismatics read that and just gloomily, is that a word, gloomily? Let's play like gloomily is a word, sadly. Gloomily, they gloomily walk away because they don't believe it. Why wouldn't you believe that? Why wouldn't you young, robust, vigorous, Young folks, why wouldn't you believe that? Why wouldn't you seize the opportunity? That's what I want. I'm not going to go out here and break my brain trying to make something work. I'm just going to count on God to guide me in a way that it works. He'll lead me. He'll arrange for me. All the good jobs that the heathen has, he'll give the heathens other jobs. They don't care. He'll give the heathens another job and give me their job. And he does it. Folks, I'm going to bust somebody's theology. It's not the heathen God cares about. It's you that he cares about. He loves you. He even said in his great high priestly prayer, he didn't pray for the world. He prayed for those the Father gave him, which he called the sheep. That's who he's concerned for. That's why this message is specific. A natural man doesn't get this. You're supposed to. And when this message comes to you, my God is able to make 
all grace and favor abound towards you so that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to all good works, jobs, marriage, who you marry, how it works, peace, everything. Shouldn't I expect God to do that for us? I didn't make it up. Bless God, I read it. It is the word of God to me. This is what he has said to us. He wants us to take him at his word because faith comes by hearing. And if he said he is willing, he is able to make all grace abound to us, then I want it. It's not greed inspired. It's faith inspired. I want what Jesus died for me to have. I want it. What about my physical needs? How many people are worried about their bodies? Every single newspaper comes out as disease and sickness and death and dying. It is impossible, unless you're on one of those education channels, to watch anything on TV without being introduced to drugs and solutions for ills and a place to go have it done. Nobody's making more money in hospitals and drug companies. All the advertisements are controlled by them. Well, you know what I mean by all. I mean, you get a hamburger every now and then and there or a car, but you're just bombarded with sickness. We're living in a society that thinks sick, that dread sickness. Healthcare is such an issue because everybody in this society, except for a, a few, expect to be sick, expect to need medicine, expect to die in a hospital. They expect it. And they are greatly offended and probably angered if you said, but didn't God make a promise for this? Yeah, but, and then they got some ignorant theology, not ignorant, but ignorant theology about why God can't always be counted on, that God doesn't always do things. Oh, we know he could, but we're not sure he will, and therefore we shouldn't be presumptuous and say that God will do this or that. We should do with what we got. Well, if I believe that, I'd quit preaching. If God hadn't gotten something better than the world, why are we here? I am grateful for the fact that there's a medical profession in this world. There are hospitals and all of the things that are out there to help ailing, hurting people. I'm not opposed to that. They need that. What I'm saying to Christians is that that's not our source. I know there's times that this and that happens, but that's not our source. And even though those this and that times have happened to any of you, you knew that wasn't what you wanted, and you know there's a better way. You know that. That's not our source. He said, my son, give attention to my word. Proverbs 4 says, give attention to my word. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Is that true or not? Years ago, Bonnie and I, we did it. Chugged all the medicines down the drain. Undid ourselves from all dependence on the way of the world for healing. That's over 40 years ago. We walked away from all that stuff. 
People found out about it, were concerned, church folks. They were not too sure about us. What are you going to do if? 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 I'm going to put if in a cage. I don't know anything about tomorrow. I don't want to be cocky about all I'm going to say. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I just know that Jesus is already in my tomorrows. He said he would direct my steps not to disaster but to heaven. Didn't he? Then God helped me to keep my eyes on what he's promised and not the disaster that could be if he doesn't work. People sit around and talk about the consequences all the time. You get depressed. You can get stressed. You can get angry because you're thinking about consequences. Why don't you think about solutions? About what God's promised. Not what happens if he doesn't do it. It's what he will do. It's just something that God has promised that he will do. Physically. Would you look with me just for a moment in Exodus 15? I know you know where it is. I know you love it. But Exodus 15 and verse 26. What a wonderful verse of scripture. As God is leading his people out of bondage across the Red Sea. They're going to be delivered. They were delivered. And then he said this in verse 26. If, now that's up to us now. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight, will give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, God said, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, did God introduce himself as their doctor? Did he not say, if you will do it my way, I will? Well, were they supposed to expect him to do it? Or just content themselves? Well, I know he could. No, he said, expect me to. Count on me to do it. Don't look for any other source. Just count on me to do that. It's not presumptuous. It's faith. Can we do this? Well, they didn't have doctors and hospitals in. That's probably why they lived so long. Amen. Remember Psalm 103? Can you expect him when he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeems your life from destruction? Can you expect that? Should you not expect that? Oh, you're going to have your moments where you're going to have to, ah, in the name blood of Jesus. You sure you will. But are we not to count on God to do what he said? Of course we are. We're redeemed. God didn't make us to be sick and destitute and broke. Well, look at all the people in the Bible who were destitute, sick, and broke. Who said they were all counting on God to perform his word for them? I'm not patterning my life after any poor old saint or great old saint. My example is Jesus. You know why? Because he said he's an example that we should follow in his steps. That's who I want to follow. The guy told me one time that you, he didn't think you could preach healing and all of that as a sure thing because look at all the great ones. Mentioned Spurgeon with his afflictions and stuff. And, you know, he went through, he had that and he had that. So then, does that mean that though God said he's a healer that you might not heal because he didn't heal him? I'm not him. I'm me. 
Who said that they believed everything the way you're supposed to believe it? They might have acknowledged the word, but they didn't believe it. They didn't count on it. Folks, for nearly 30 years, nearly 30 years, one thing has gone out from here more than anything else. Trust God. He is the one who can do it. He's the one we should depend on and expect to do what he said. How about mental expectations? By mental, I mean peace and joy. Go all the way from Exodus, all the way back to Romans, and look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Now, may the God of hope, when it says may the God of hope, it means that you can count on him to do this. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You've got to believe. That's why believers have peace and joy. They don't have to have things. Just belief, just faith. If it doesn't look good now, it'll get better because God is faithful. God will take care. He's a deliverer. He's a provider. But he said, may God fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Shouldn't we be like that? Then am I getting this right if I say this? If I'm a believer, if I'm one who takes God at his word to perform his word, then he, from heaven's side, in this way that he delights, will fill me with joy and peace? Should I not have joy and peace? What did Jesus say? You don't turn to this in John 16. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. But he gives you peace, peace that passes understanding, Paul says. You can't explain it. How do you explain peace that you have a serene contentment in your heart? You know there are things out there waiting on you, but you're not afraid of it. He's delivered you from all your fears. You shouldn't have any. You walk in peace. You don't need all this junk and trash in the world to have happiness. You don't need to have more than a man could ever want to be joyful and peaceful. Some of us may live in simple little surroundings or something that's not very big and somewhat confined, but you're so happy and peaceful that you don't really don't want anything else. Well, I thought y'all believed in abundant life. Man, I am living the abundant life. What do you mean, Luke? You don't have a big fancy of, I'm out of debt. I'm well, I love my wife, my wife loves me. I love my kids, my kids love me. I got food to eat, my bills are paid. How about you? I thought you were supposed to have a big thing. You know, I don't even want that. There was a time I did, and I believed God for all that. Proved that God was faithful, but you know, now that you come later on in your life, all that stuff sort of wanes, it really and truly does. It's not a big deal. He blesses you so you can have it if you want it. Mental peace. Can I expect God to give me peace? Thou shalt keep him in peace, peace, perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. That's the way it works, folks. That's the way it's supposed to work. And finally, how about good success in life? successfulness. In one verse of scripture, just Joshua 1, we'll close with this. 
In Joshua chapter 1, good success. Y'all have heard of Psalm 1 while you're on your way back to Joshua. We passed by Psalm Avenue, 1st Street. Blessed is a man that doesn't do what bad people do, but his delight in verse 2 of the psalm, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now listen, young folks, in his law, he meditates, ponders, thinks, day and night. God said, as a result, as he guides you into a life like this, he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Water is life. Read Ezekiel 16 about the water of life. You should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, always bearing fruit, leaves always green, doesn't turn brown, always full of life. And it goes on to say that whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Your work, your job, your management of your money, of your life, your decisions you're making, your talents that people need in the workforce to get the best job, he'll give it to you. Well, I don't know how to help. You just walk in a good way. You trust God. God will cause somebody to look at you and say, I want to hire you. And while you like me would say, why would you want to hire me? And they say, I don't know. <laughs> I want to pay you more than you're worth. Why? I don't know. I don't know. And then they hire you, and all of a sudden, your talents and your abilities and your attitude is better than anybody that's ever worked for him. And he gives you a raise. And you say, why would you give me a raise so soon? I don't know. I don't know. Can God do that for normal people like us? Look what he said to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee to turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper. Does it say that? You may prosper in all that you do. Now, was God giving him a way to prosper? Would God hold him to it? Of course he would. Could you expect God to do the same thing for you or was this only for Joshua? Or does the same central truth and set of principles work in any generation to whoever believes? Of course it does. This isn't the only place in the Bible God said do this and you'll be blessed. He said it in Deuteronomy 28. He said it in Psalm 1. He said it in 2 Corinthians 9. God's not restricted by times and days and years generations or seasons. God's word is affected by nothing. What is said then, it says today. It says it all the time. Finally, verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate like Psalm 1 therein, day and night, so that from the light you get in it, you may be able to observe to do according to what is in it. For in doing this, you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. I want, personally, I want good success. Not because I'm shrewd and clever. If I need to be shrewd and clever, he can do that. I want it simply because he said it. I'm not going to try to make this work. I'm not going to try to be successful. God knows. And going on 29 and a half years we've been here. We've lasted a long time. But you know something? You think about it. We've never tried to do anything more than what we're doing. 
Let's do something else. Has this worked? <laughs> All we do is preach and give testimonies and sing a song and go home. Did it work? <laughs> Has it worked? Or are we going to get bored with the rest of the world and want to change? Or has it worked? I've been so many times, I thought, maybe I should do it this way. In my heart, I hear these words. Do you think I brought you to where you are because you did it some clever way? I know, but you know, people, well, you're not about people. You're about me. Just do what I told you. Just do it the way that's worked for you. If God's kept me healthy because we've done things a certain way, or if he's blessed this, because why change? What if the only thing we did until Jesus come was just meet and preach the word and just fuss at people all morning until they get convicted about it and then send them home? I don't want to do that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. 20 years later, you look back and say, you know, God didn't bring me through all the stuff he brought me through because I was ill-taught or done wrong or had fancy new ways to have a religious service. Just preach the word. Just preach the word. Same old, same old, same old. One more time. Just like God, it's ancient, never changes, always works. Change, don't need to. Be like somebody else, don't want to. What he's given us is what we got. And what he wants us to do is what we're going to do. Who really expects God to do things today? Do you all? I mean, do you really expect him to do all this? I know you know it. I know you've heard it. But do you expect it to happen? Is there evidence in your life that you're expecting it to happen? How about Jesus coming again? We're getting ready to take communion. Communion has a testimony. We show forth the Lord's death until he comes. If he hadn't died, he didn't live again. But if he died and he's alive, he's alive because he raised from the dead. And that means he's coming again. He bore your diseases and carried your pains. By his stripes you're healed. You expect that to be true for you? Did he purchase that for you? Did you give thanks to him this morning for doing it? Say 
Do you? 